Welcome to Mental Health and Emotional Intelligence Part 3. Okay, before we start, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in Heaven, Lord, we, have, we thank you for bringing us this far. We thank you that as we begin to enter into a new year, we can end with a workshop knowing, dear Lord, how to best serve you with the mental health that you have given us and also uh, balance emotions in exercising such uh, emotions that you have given us. So we pray that it will be subdued by you, given to you, and Lord, also for thy service, honor, and glory, it will be used by you. Thank you once again for giving us this opportunity. We give you our brain, our mind, our heart. Instruct us. In Jesus' name we pray. Okay, well, so what we're going to be doing is we're going to go through the practical application. Uh, that's what I call how to daily form a mindset and emotion ready for heaven. Okay, so we have learned the neurobiological basis. At least we tried to cover it uh, to the best of our ability in a short time given, but also in a very lay layman term that even a child would be able to understand. That was the goal. Uh, please forgive me if some were too academic, but what I tried to do is link it in such a way that the spirit of prophecy is highlighted and that the scientific facts or findings are given in such a way that both science and spirit of prophecy harmonizes and do not disappear. Because what we do know is God is the one that created us. God knows us best. He knows how to maintain our body and mind. So what I have been asked by, by uh, Brother Terry uh, Ernst is to briefly uh, somehow mention to you a few points about emotional intelligence. Uh, this is more in the, in the branch of psychology. And so that's why I was going to ignore it. But let's tackle it just a little bit. And so it is indeed important that you have seen the, the, the plots in the previous presentation in which during development there is a different peak time of plasticity. First is the sensory that develops. Second is the motor and the language. And the third part that develops is the cognitive. And so in, in terms of emotion, the first thing that, 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 that the first thing that it develops also is awareness and feeling. You know, already you do know that uh, uh, a fetus is begins to, to to develop sense of feeling already in a, a prenatal stage, and also during childhood they need to understand what uh, the the feelings that they're feeling. In fact, to a point that a child must be able to understand when I'm smiling, right? A child must be able to understand with my face when I go, right? Children are not born reading that. They have to learn looking at the face and being able to associate that this is a feeling of happiness, anger, 
and those things. And they, once they have learned that, they must also learn to subdue them. Okay? I don't know if many of you have children, but those of you who have the blessed experience of raising a child that cries all night, right? You know, sometimes when the child starts crying, they don't know how to stop, to subdue themselves. And this is also a learning process. They must be aware of feelings, but at the same time, able to control them. This is all a developmental part. Okay? And then they also may be able to, to use the feeling for motivation. But there's a danger there. That's why I'm saying that it has to be subdued. Because if feeling is always used to motivate, we're in trouble. You know what I mean? Especially students. I don't feel like studying today, so I'm not studying. But I have an exam tomorrow. You know the result of that. Or, if you're like me, I feel like eating. <laughs> but I have already. Then I'm in trouble too. You see what I mean? So we need to be, be able to subdue. And, and feeling should not be the motivation to do something. There's a reason as to why the brain is on top of all our organs. Because it's to subdue everything else. It's to executively execute. And I would say steer the whole being. Okay? So the, 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 the fourth is, of course, empathy, which is being able to, to deal with, uh, show compassion. Okay? A child, or during this development, must be able to, for example, there's another, a child that is crying. You, you will often see another child, you, two responses. A child, when there's not one child crying, one child going like this, and there's another child that is almost about to cry too. Or another child that approaches the child and holds their hand. Three kinds of responses. Being able to exercise and recognize what they're seeing and respond to that. Okay? The fifth element is, of course, being able to, what, what the others would call, being able to use those things for social interactions. We are social beings. God created man and women. Woman, sorry, man and woman first. But the idea is we are to be what? Social. The Bible tells us that when God created Adam, Adam looked at the into, into the into the animal kingdom. Male, female. Male. Female. Male? Female. Male? No female. And so, God, when, when He created Adam this way, it was a purpose. Why? Because God wanted Adam to have a desire for a partner. So that's how good God is. He didn't automatically put a woman, bam, here, live with her. No. There was a desire that had to be created in Adam. He saw that the animal kingdom, all that man, female, male, no female. And so God wanted to add to his life, but the desire had to be created in Adam. 
You see the point? See the difference? And so we are social beings. Now, with all that encompass for emotional intelligence and being able to use that, knowing how to subdue them, knowing how that uh, one should not be the one to overrule the other. Again, it is a mind, it's the brain that sits on top of the head. We are to subdue feelings within reasons, and it all has to be what? In accordance with God's principles. Now, what we're going to try and do now is use the basics of what we have learned and use what we have just mentioned in how to form a, a daily form, a man's mindset and emotions ready for heaven. First point that I'd like to share with you is the spirit of integration. What is this spirit of integration all about? Okay. Notice what it says. A.W. Tosco. One of the greatest hindrances to the Christian's internal peace is common habit of dividing lives into two areas, the sacred and the secular. But this state of affair is wholly unnecessary. We have gotten ourselves on the horn of the dilemma, but the dilemma is not real. It is a creature of misunderstanding. The sec sacred secular antithesis has no foundation in the New Testament. Okay, let's bring it into more, more uh, practical terms. Remember, he said, the greatest hindrance to Christian experience is when we separate religious life and daily life. What does that mean? Okay? It means you cannot be two persons because you're living a double life. Okay, let's break it down. What does that mean? Give you an example. I woke up this morning. Six o'clock, my alarm was set. I opened the Bible. Ah, okay. So I'm in Ezekiel chapter 8. It talks about the vision and the domination in Israel. And I studied that. The time of Joachim's captivity. So I studied this. Lord, thank you. I prayed. Thank you for, for this information. Closed my Bible. Put it by my bed. 7 o'clock, okay, time to have a shower, took a shower, had breakfast, this is a normal day, and then had to go to work. And I went to work, and did all the things at work that I was supposed to do, and then at 5 o'clock, time to go home, drive back home, with the family, ah, it's time for supper, and we had supper, time for family worship. Let's open up a Bible again. What did I do? I just <coughs> separated two lives. A religious life and a secular life. Okay? Now, I say this because we know that what we are when we what we are called to do is what? Disciples and missionaries every day, wherever we go. Now, before I go into that, let's look at the, the Greek worldview of dualism. Okay, you have the, all right, so this is not the, this is not the map view. Anyway, what, what, what it's supposed to say is the sacred and secular. Somehow the resolution of the, the, the beaver did something that is not supposed to do it. Right, Henrik? You can't read it, right? No. 
Okay, so anyway, it's supposed to be secular and sacred. Okay, this has a Greek root. Now, what happens when, when, when we do that? We live in two lives. Look at what the biblical model is. Okay, work is ordained by God and it should be dedicated to God. The word for work is abodah, the same as word for worship. What does that mean? Did you get it? Work is worship. What does that mean? The Bible says whatever you do, do for the what? Glory of God. That's worship. Right? So when you are doing whatever you do for the glory of God, it is worship. People, we, we always say that there are two institutions created by God before the fall. We say Sabbath, and we say marriage. I suggest a third one. It's called work. All right? Before men sinned, they had to work. Yes or no? Yes. So there's three institutions. Not just two. So God designed that you and I work. Okay? And whatever we do, that work is for the glory of God. You don't separate it from God. The problem with us in this society, which is heavily influenced by the Greek philosophy, is that we separate secular as we separate sacred. And so we don't mix it. And do you know what that means? We're living two lives, and when you live two lives, it's a prescription for mental health disorder. Whether you like it or not. We cannot be two persons. We are one. Okay. The biblical model, God ordained that the beings he created should work. Notice what it says. In Christian Experience and Teachings. Page 75, paragraph 1. Upon this their happiness depends. No one in the Lord's great domain of creation was made to be a drone. Our happiness increases and our powers develop as we engage in useful employment. So, this is the, supposed to be the biblical worldview, but again, you will find that the first one should be school, second, second one would be art, music, uh, law, Labor and agriculture, this is medicine, this is, okay, this is controversial sex. The idea is this. There should be two arrows here which you do not see, okay? It's an invisible one. There's nothing necessarily wrong with these things. It's what you do with them that determines whether they be good or they be good, they will be evil. Okay? But what, well, what we have done is we try to separate it already. Why? Because we have not incorporated the idea, God's ideal of Abodah. That work is worship. In the context of whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Okay, what's this spirit of integration? Notice what it says. To the children of God, the fear of the Lord lies at the foundation of all true greatness. 
Integrity, unswerving integrity is the principle you need to carry with you in all relations of life. Take a, pay attention to the next one. Take your religion into your school life, into your boarding house, into all your pursuits. All your pursuits. You are to take your religion. You cannot separate it. The important question with you now is how so to choose, perf and choose and perfect your studies that you will maintain the solidarity and purity of an untarnished Christian character holding all temporal claims and interests in subjection to the higher claims of the gospel of Christ. What we are trying to install within our minds and in our heart is that whenever we do, we have a spirit of integration. We do not separate religious and sacred. We are seven-day Adventists, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, which means even when you are in a public toilet, you are seven-day Adventists. Amen. Amen? Okay? Okay. Which means wherever you are, that's your mission field. Wherever you go is your mission trip. I was just telling Henry earlier, you will be surprised how we can generate Bible contact and interest in public toilets. And you laugh. But I shared with him a few techniques on how to do it. Okay? I'm going to the toilet. I'm dying to go to the toilet. So I usually in the store toilet, there's a long line. So you queue in the line. Okay, this is my mission field. There's a line here. What do I do? Somebody comes who is more in need of a toilet than I am. So they're crossing their leg, doing all they could, that they're trying to not to be so obvious. But you can tell, okay? Because you're doing the same, okay? So what do you do? You approach this person and say, look, I think you need the toilet more than me. So you take my space, I take yours. What did you just do there? You offered your place for his place. Or, if you're a lady, her place. Now, think on this. Okay? The person, you just did something for the person. And the person is now wondering, why would he or she do that? You, people are just watching you. Why would he or she do that? They're just wondering now. Now you are prepared now for the next move. Why? Because that person is going to go into the bathroom. And that person's gonna come out of the bathroom, and then you're ready with your great controversy or your blow trap. <laughs> They're not gonna say no. Why? Because you just give them trust and you did something for them. Get it? They will not say no. You just did something for them. The least they can do, now I'm relaxed, is take the trap, book whatever you gave them, and they will read it. Okay, I'll give you an example. Last, last October, we were in Belgium. You can ask Martha. She was there. Or Emma. She was there. Uh, they invited us to do a, uh, a revival weekend. So I was there. We did the preaching, and we did outreach. And on Sabbath night, we were going out on a meal. Yes, Emma? You remember that? All right. And so we were going on a meal, and she decided to take us to this little statue boy in Brussels that is peeing. It's, it's apparently famous. To me, I, I'm, I'm, I'm illiterate with, with, with this kind of culture. I'm interested in people, not statue. 
And so anyway, they, they took us there, and we, we were standing in front of the statue, and I was telling myself, we went all the way this walk just to find this one. <laughs> this better be interesting. And so as I was looking at the statue and talking, there's this woman and this man that came. And they looked at it. I said, oh, there it is. And I said, and I told him, yes, you're right. It is there. <laughs> OK? And then we generate, and uh, so I said, I saw them there couple, but at that moment that they said it is there, and I, it was in English, I knew. Okay, I'm on my, you know, I don't, I don't have to turn on. I knew it. So, okay, I got to talk to them. Okay, so I turned around and I just wanted to find out more about them. So I said, oh, honeymooners. Wonderful. <laughs> I don't know if they're married, but I'm trying to find out information. And they looked at me and they says, with a big eye, says, no, no, they didn't say, how do you know? I says, we've been married for some time. And I said, okay, re-honeymooners, <laughs> wonderful. So at least I know they're married, okay? And so I said, so you came all the way here to find this man, this little boy too? And we got talking and talking and talking, and then I wanted them to ask, what am I doing there? I don't want to tell them what I'm doing, I want them to ask. So you try to generate, you turn a normal conversation into a spiritual conversation, right? And so eventually, after within a minute and a half, they asked, what are you doing here? Thank you, Lord. So I told them what I was doing there. I was here with the youth of Belgium preaching the word of God. And said, you're a preacher? I said, no, I'm not a preacher, but my father is the greatest pastor in heaven. And so through this, I'm trying to learn if they have a Christian background. And then we, we got to talk and talk and for a little bit more, maybe a few, a few more, a half a minute more. And then finally, find out where they're from and find out they have a Christian background. Okay? And then I started to, to go into the Word of God in small droplets to see if they're taking, you know, when you go fishing and you watch the fish bites. If it takes something, you bring it closer. You're fishing. Okay? So I was doing the same thing, only in, in spiritual manner. And as, as I was doing that, I said, Lord, give me more words, give me more words. So we continue to converse, converse, and converse. And then towards the end of the conversation, I said, Lord, we got to close this deal because they are hungry. Uh, Emma and Delma, they, 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 we have to go to the restaurant to eat before the night ends, and it's going to be too late. So, Lord, how do we end this? I say, okay, this is what we do. I asked them, Carlotta, Alfredo, I want to pray for you. Could we do that now here? Right in front of the family? I says, yes. And we pray. And then afterwards, as we were leaving, they said to me, please come over, come over. So it took me to the corner, and they began to tell me their spiritual condition. Okay? And I began to give them counsels from the Word of God. And then they began to tell me that they are trying for a child. Something that is deep and very personal for them. Says, we see that you are a person who loves God. Could you pray for us? I just prayed for them. And then they wanted a second prayer specifically for that matter. And so I, before I said, I need to open the word of God first before I pray with you. And so I gave them more counsels of what the scripture says. And then prayed for 
That's how we ought to be. Every trip we make is a mission trip. It's called integration. And when we live an integrated lives, young people, beloved, your heart is full. Your mind is joyful. Why? Because you are living for the glory of God. You're not living for yourself. You're not self-focused. You are Christ-focused and people-focused. Okay. Remember that. Spirit of integration. This is for our students. People at work too. Point to mindset of excellence. What does that mean? What does it say? We are living in perils of the last days. All heaven is interested in the characters you are forming. Every provision has been made for you that you should be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust, man is not left alone to conquer the powers of evil by his own feeble efforts. Help is at hand and will be given every soul who really desires it. Okay? Angels of God that ascend, descend the ladder that Jacob saw in the vision will help every soul who will climb even to the highest heaven. They are guarding the people and watching how every step is taken. Those who climb the shining way will be rewarded. They will enter into the joy of their Lord. Now, God's plan for every student is what? Higher than the highest human thoughts can reach. Remember I already told you guys, some of you, think of the highest thing you can think of. Mm. Yes, that. God's ideal for you is higher than that. Godliness, godlikeness is the goal to be rich. What does that mean for you and I? It means that for you and I, we have to be excellent in all that we do. Not because of our works, but because of our desire to give glory to God. So which means, this kind of mindset, it prepares the student for the joy of service in this world, and for the joy of the wider service in the world to come. Okay? And what it also does, as the Bible says here, you are my witness, says the Lord, that I am God, that this all should be in eternity. What does that mean? You are His witnesses. Gandhi says what? What does Gandhi say? One of his famous statement. If Christians would what? Live the way they preach? I would be a Christian. What does that mean? It means that Christianity's teaching is excellent. But the Christians are not excellent. But the teaching is. So, which means God's desire, since He's teaching it, is for us to be excellent. Okay, let's put more and more practical applications uh, on, on what the excellent is. Okay, just to give you a, uh, a, a picture, we know that the standard of excellence is the scripture. Now, how do we, how do we then bring this into a practical uh, application? How do you bring this alive in our everyday life? Okay, now, we always say there's this, there's this band in the United States. WWJD. You know what they ask is, what would Jesus do? You know, they have this thing to remind them, what would Jesus do? So, whenever they go, to go around and they have they encounter a problem, yes, what would Jesus do? It reminds them. So, the idea is this. Now, look at, look at what, what, what Jesus uh, 
imitate the life of Jesus who was perfect in a carpenter shop as he was in soul winning. What does that mean? When he came to this world, this is the Son of God. Okay? The Son of God, Kings of Kings, Lord of Lords, when he came to this earth, did he become a lawyer? Did he become a doctor? What did he become? A carpenter. As humble as it can be. Now, what is it about carpentry? Why of all the profession did God choose carpentry? Okay. Now, we, we can look at it this way. I'm a carpenter that makes chairs. So here's a chair. It's a four-legged chair. Do you agree with me? You can see it's not perfect. It's not that excellent. You know why? It wobbles. Now, this is the, how Jesus would do it. This chair shouldn't wobble. This chair should be stable and fixed. So everything he does is done with perfection. And you ask, what has the chair got to do with saving the whole world? It has nothing to do with saving the whole world. But the act of excellence to be sure that it's not moving, that everything is done perfect with excellent mindset of excellence. If I can do this perfect in every way possible, God can entrust me with greater things when he can entrust me with little things. Amen? Amen? Amen. Mindset of excellence. Consider the life of Joseph. Okay, let's take Joseph. Joseph, the goody-goody two-shoes of the brother. Wearing a multicolored coat. Going to his brothers with the cheese, honey, and bread. Well, what do they do? They try to kill him. All he ever wanted to do is obey his father. What has he done wrong? Nothing. But they wanted to kill him. They wanted to turn a stake out of the young man. Okay, so look what happens. They see a water well. They threw him in. God be praised, it's empty. Because if it's filled, he would have drowned. Okay? Threw him into the well. Now, they're still planning, what do we do? Look at the providence of God. The Ishmaelites come. They oh, said, oh, why not just make money out of it? They sold Joseph. Now, Joseph is now being dragged all the way to some place he doesn't even know. Okay? In his mind, that's it. I will not see my father again. I will not see my brother again. It was a depressing state. Would you say not? Very depressing. Heartbroken. But guess what is on Joseph's mind? Regardless of the condition I'm in, I'm going to be faithful to God. The God of my father. That was his decision. As he was being dragged to Egypt. Mindset. Drive. And so he reached Egypt. What happens in Egypt? There are many people that will need slaves. Guess where he ends up? 
at the house of Potiphar. Okay? At the house of Potiphar. Okay? At the house of Potiphar. Guess what happens? He sold as a slave. So if you are in, 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 this, in this corporation of Potiphar, an enterprise in his household, there's hierarchy. Since you're a new slave, you start at the very bottom. Yes or no? Okay? You will find that in the house of Potiphar, if you look at manuscript and details, that Joseph excelled the ladder of career in the household very swiftly. To a point that Joseph had the Amex credit card and the bank card of Potiphar. He says, Joseph, go and do shopping. Here's my credit card. Here's the PIN number. Here is the PIN number of the Egyptian ATM bank right there down the road. You withdraw as much as you want and do our shopping. Okay? I'm just putting in a context of what Joseph had to go through. Now, Joseph now is a manager. He had access to all, what, the accounts, bank account of Potiphar. He could have easily stole, but what, you know what, what Joseph did when he goes shopping? He goes shopping, and he looks at the prices like this one. Oh, this is still expensive. I'm going to go to Lidl down the road. It's probably cheaper. And he goes down there and chooses the best quality at the cheapest price, and gets the receipt and hands it over to Potiphar. Here you are. Not because he wants to be rewarded. Excellent. Nice. And so, here is Potiphar. He looks at the receipt of Joseph. He looks at the receipt of the, uh, the, the senior staff. They bought the same thing. But Joseph is really good. His figures add up. There's more there. What happens? Trust comes. Mindset of excellence. We could go on about Daniel, but I think you got the picture. Now, third point. We have done what? First is spirit of integrity. Second is mindset of excellence. Third, is the heart of humility and dependence. Okay, what does that mean? It means, very simple, never begin anything without the heart preparation and prayer. And this is what I like about such conferences this. We have our personal devotion with God, bam, 6 o'clock in the morning. Okay? Not only that, before we start our main course down the hall, we have our appetizer, which is United Prayer. Never begin anything with a prayer. You don't begin with the main course without having your starter. And what is your starter? Prayer and dependence. Prayer life needs to be objective. What does that mean? Prayer life needs to be objective. So when you're studying the Word of God, always ask God, what, Lord, are you telling me through these passages of Scripture? Because I didn't come across this scripture for the sake of just reading it. You are trying to tell me something. Lord, what is it? Make it known to your servant this day. Reveal unto me the intent and the purpose of my heart. Very important in our mental state. And emotional state. 
What is the purpose and intent that we do things? What is the motivation? And we need to ask God to reveal unto us the real purpose. Because many of us are doing good things, going good deeds, with a wrong intent and purpose. You know what I mean? I think you and I know what, you know what I mean because you've gone through that. I've been through that. And that's why I say that if you could only read my heart, oh, God forbid. And I praise God that He's able to, 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 to deliver me from that. Okay. Plead for the Holy Spirit. We already know this. You have been studying about that. But it must be done daily. Of course, there's going to be a confession and repentance. Because the Spirit of God cannot fall on you in a sinful state in a way that you have not given Him his, your sins. You have not repented nor confessed. Okay, heart of humility and dependence. Notice this, very important, young people. We are not to try climb up to high positions or to gain the praise of man. That is not the motivation. That is not the goal. No, no, no. Our aim should not be to be the greatest. Okay? We are to have a single eye to the glory of God. That is our aim. Single eye to the glory of God. We are to work with all intelligence that God has given us, playing ourselves in the channel of light, that the grace of God can come upon us to mold the fashion, a fashion us to divine similitude. Heaven is waiting to bestow its richest blessing upon those who will consecrate themselves to do the work in God, of God in these last days of world history. We are, we shall be tested and tried. We may be called to spend wakeful nights, but let such times be spent in earnest prayer to God that He may give understanding and quicken the mind to discern the privilege that are ours. These things are deep. But if we take it to heart and study and ask God, Lord, help me to apply at least a few points in there, you will learn to have a heart, a mind that is dependent, heart mind that is humble, heart and mind that God can use. Okay, the fourth part is decided faithfulness. What does this mean? Okay, let's break it down. Success is faithfulness and it is determined by the spirit in which the work is done. Success is faithfulness and it is determined by the spirit in which the work is done. Education 217, paragraph 2. Success in this life, success in gaining the future life, depends upon faithful, conscientious attention to the little things. Perfection is seen in the least, no less than in the greatest of works of God. Now, when you look at Matthew chapter 25, you find there the man with what? Five talents? The man with what? How many talents? Two. Two talents, thank you, brother. And the last one is had what? One. one talents. You remind me what the one who has five talents did. Okay. The one with two? The one with one? Okay. Notice what ha what the master said. To the one that was given five and gained and doubled his profit, 
the one that given to him doubled it. What does he say? Good and what? Successful servant? Faithful servant. Was he successful? Yes or no? Yes. But he doesn't say good and successful servant. They were successful. He says good and faithful servants, which means what? Success is faithfulness. And it is determined by the spirit in which the work is done. But many of us go into depression because we want success. Right? But the problem is they have not applied faithfulness. If you're faithful, you will be successful. That's just the rule of heaven. I'm not saying you'll be successful in, but you will succeed and elevate in what you do because of your faithfulness. Decided faithfulness. Again, notice what it says. Speaking of Joseph, Daniel, and his fellows, they valued the favor of God about the favor and praise of prince. And God loved them and spread his shield over them. Because of their faithful integrity, because of their determination to honor God above every human power, the Lord signally honored them before men. Now, I, I love the story of Joseph. Love the story of Joseph. A model of faithfulness. And you, you think today, beloved, you think today, well, that's just in... It doesn't happen anymore. You know why? Because we don't find young men that have the integrity, that have the mindset, that have the decided faithfulness of Joseph. But if you find them this day, they will be elevated. Just God has elevated Joseph to be world leaders. Because we are living in a dark world, just as Joseph was living in a dark world of his time. But notice how faithful Joseph was. Think of it this way. Already, I, I, I already uh, uh, gave you a bit that when he was thrown into the well, not a word of curse came from his lips. Not a word. Not to his brother, not to his God. Or to the God of his father, as the Bible says. When he is being dragged into Egypt, he says, I'm going to be faithful to the God of my father. Now he is in Egypt, and he is there being paraded, being displayed, and people are, are, are lifting his hair, trying to see how much they, you know, how much is this boy? Checking if he has lies or whatever. Oh, he's worth maybe 30, 35 silver. He has no lies. He's clean. I'm still going to be faithful. Now, he's in Potiphar's household. He's the newbie in the house. You know what a newbie in the house is? There's an initiation for a new person in such a place. You know what an initiation is, don't you? Okay? An initiation which means they're all gonna play joke on this guy. They're all gonna because he's a new guy. Everyone has to go through the process. Okay? Joseph, I'm gonna be faithful. Now his faithfulness is tested finally when he enters into the room of Potiphar's wife. And she was doing gymnastics or whatever she was doing there, trying to seduce Joseph. Okay, notice. I love the, 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 the words that came out of Joseph in that verse of scripture. Potiphar's wife lured Joseph in bed. Okay, notice his response. She says, how can I do this great evil 
against who? Remind me. God. Against God. But was he was he, was his boss not Potiphar? Yes, of course. He says, "How did I do this evil against Potiphar who treated me so well?" No, that's what's not on his mind. How could I do this great evil against God? Why? Because his wife said, "My husband will never know." And when the devil speaks to you, what happens? How can I do this great evil against God? Because on his mind and in his heart, it's always God. Now, what the first wife says, you know the result, right? You hit my bed and my pillow today, or you hit the pillow of the jail. Choose. And be careful how you choose. And he made his choice. Yes, the pillow in the jail is sweeter. I'll go for that one. He was thrown in jail. You know the story. Guess what happens in jail? Within short time, he had the key to his jail cell. What's up with that? He's a prisoner, but he has the key to his jail cell. He lets himself out. He lets himself in. He's the manager of the state of the jail. Look, look, look at the faithfulness of Joseph. He doesn't run off. He could run off, but he doesn't. He lets himself in to a point that he became a what? A counselor in the jail. You have a problem? Go and see Joseph. We all know the story. <coughs> Decided faithfulness. Five, we must have an eye for providence. What does that mean, eye for providence? The will of God, you have to understand that the will of God will never lead you where His grace cannot sustain you. Amen? That's beautiful. The will of God will never lead you where His grace cannot sustain you no matter how difficult life gets. You have to understand that, you have to know it, you have to internalize it, you have to have it in your heart. Because time will be difficult. There's perilous time coming ahead, not seen before. And you have to understand and you know that when you're faithful, the will of God leads you in this direction. So no matter what difficulty you're going to go through, His grace will sustain you. Again, success depends less upon genius but right use of the opportunities given. You don't have to be a genius, but you have to know how to use the opportunity God gives you. What is eyes for progress? I want to go just, just give you an example of Joseph. We are on Joseph, so we continue on Joseph. Look at God's providence for Joseph. I already mentioned it. His brother wanted to kill him. They find a well. Ah, a well. So they throw him through a well. Providence number one, there's a well. Providence number two, the well is empty. If that well would have been hot water, he would have drowned. Providence number three, the Israelites come. So he sold to the Israelites. Providence number four, part the first house. Out of all the people that will need slave. Potiphar's house. Why Potiphar's house? Okay? Potiphar's house 
is a place where what? He could learn accounting. He could learn diplomacy. You have to understand that Potiphar is the captain of the guard. So everyone that's going to see Pharaoh has to go through Potiphar's house. They have to be entertained there for days, many of them, before you can get an audience with Pharaoh. You just don't walk into the palace. No, no, no. You've got to be screened. What do you want with a king? What's your business? Oh, he has a business schedule. You have to wait. We'll have to intervene. No matter how important you are, you are going to see a king. The king does not want to waste his time. He's not going to see anyone that has an urgent agenda or reasonable agenda to see him. So they end up at Potiphar's house. He gets entertained. And there, Joseph learns foreign languages, diplomacy, accounting, relations. Why, why is God training him for this? Because he's going to be the prime minister. And if you're going to be the prime minister, don't, don't, don't be fooled that Pharaoh did not have advisors. Pharaoh had advisors. And when, when, the, when the time came, when Joseph was in the courts of Pharaoh and said, and, John, and Pharaoh says, I want him to be my prime minister, don't get me wrong that no one would say no. That advisor would say, no, no, we should be the prime minister. But guess what? They have nothing on Joseph. Why? He could speak their language perfectly. He could speak foreign languages of other people. Okay? He could do accounting. He has a way of diplomacy that his, even his assistant or advisor did not have. So they could not have anything on Joseph. Why? Again, spirit of integrity. Okay? Mindset of excellence. Heart of humility. And dependence. You, you, you have to see that when, when, when Joseph went to Pharaoh, finally, when he busted out of jail, when, they, when, the, when Pharaoh's guard took him out of jail, notice what Joseph does. You will read it in the Bible. Joseph didn't rush to the, to the Pharaoh's court. No, no, no. He said, Joseph said, boys, wait a minute. I'm going to shave myself and then put a new cloak on. So he shapes himself, he puts showers, puts a new clothes on, now I'm ready to see Pharaoh. Professional. I mean, he could have just run out of jail and said, yes, I'm going to go to Pharaoh and tell him his dream. Very easily, but no. He is a man of excellence. Mindset. He says, I'm going to be going to the, I'm going to do all I can. And so when Pharaoh saw him, he was in jail. I mean, clean shave, clean clothes. It smells like head and shoulder. <laughs> he was in jail? No. He could not believe it. Eyes for providence. What you're going to be, you and I are going to be need to do, of course, if we're going to be um, have a mindset that forms a character ready for heaven, with all these things, we cannot but ignore making passionate appeals. You know what a passionate appeal is? The gospel is to be presented not as a lifeless theory, but as a living force to change the life. God desires that the receiver of His grace shall be witness to His power. Chew on that quotation. Witness to its power. 
Now, I have many, many experience I want to share, but one experience I want to share with you is one that, that really changed my mindset in such a way that God's power can be demonstrated boldly in the world that we live in today. I think Daniel touched on a little bit of it. I was flying from the United States from a professional meeting. Now, you have to understand, I, go, I went to the United States for a professional meeting. It's a neuroscience meeting I attended by day, and at that night, I was preaching at this church. It was providential. I did not, uh, I did not ask for the preaching appointment. I attended the, the church on that Sabbath, and they heard my, 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 my contribution at Sabbath school and asked me if I could preach the, at the youth service in the evening. And then I preached the youth service in the evening, and then they asked me to preach again the next evening, and then the next evening, and then the next evening. Well, I was attending the meeting during the day. And at the end of that day, at the end of the week, eight people gave their lives to the Lord. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, man, God is just such an amazing God. And so here I am on the plane, on my way home, on fire for God. And so the Lord... Surely there's one soul on this plane that needs you today. Put him next to me. Put him next to me. And so here I am now. I've got everything ready. Got my Bible. You see, it's very small. You cannot see it from a distance. So I put it right in front. Okay? So at least the person sits next to me. He knows what he's going to get if he talks to me. Okay? So this guy, tall guy, very, very well-dressed, comes. He puts his Apache case, he opens it up, and he takes three things out. He takes a book, this thick. He takes a newspaper, and he takes his laptop. And I looked up to heaven and said, Lord, we're in trouble. I said, the amount of things he took out, we're not going to be able to talk. And so, here, here we are now, sitting down on the plane. And I was just, I just had a big smile on my face. And I'm looking at him, and he doesn't look. He doesn't look. He opens his book and starts reading. And I'm like, okay. Okay, Lord. You know, everyone that flies looks out the window when the plane is taxiing. He's bound to look out the window. And when he does, I'll be there smiling and say hello. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, you just, you can imagine. I mean, it would be funny to see myself in a movie when I get to heaven. You know, just to remind me to have that shot. But you know what? I was like, he doesn't look. I said, okay, Lord, we have eight hours of flight. Whoa. No big deal. Plenty of time. And so here comes the meal. And you have to understand, I order kosher meal. You know what kosher meal is? Yeah. Jewish meal. Not because I, it's my outreach technique. Why? Well, look at me. I'm Oriental, and I'm a Jew. That raised curiosity. Doesn't it? Okay. So, anyway. So here comes my meal. Kosher. Have you ever seen a kosher meal? I tell you. These meals, even if the plane crashes, the food are still on the train. You know why? Because you can rotate it in all sorts of directions. It's wrapped up. Now, it's really wrapped up tightly. You can shake it, and it not everything holds in there. It's sterilized. And so here comes the plate, here comes the, here comes the, the, the food, and he said, you? Even the, even the stewardess looked at me with the gloves like, he wasn't sure. I said, yes, that's me. 
Okay? And so the bird has, he, she tries to find a way to get it to me, can't get it to me. So it went underneath his arm, he kept swinging the book. I said, oh boy. Anyway, so here I am, and opening this tray is very noisy because it's clean film. You know, you're like, you're ripping everything apart. And I'm, I'm making it a bit louder than usual. So he would at least look, but he still doesn't look. Okay, finally, I said, okay, Lord. Now, when we're, we're, we're in the middle of our flight, I, I wanted to still speak to him. I take my Bible out, I started to read. He just doesn't look. So I'm about to give up and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to sleep. So I sleep. And then finally, I wake up, and it was breakfast time. He still doesn't look. Now, we're over Paris. Look at the, now the plane is flying over Paris. Okay, the meal is finished. It's 45 minutes away from Zurich. 40 minutes away from Zurich. The pilot announces that he is going to shut down the right engine because it's on fire. And I look into the sky and say, Lord, you have a sense of humor. <laughs> because I knew he would look. There's no way. I knew he would look. And the moment he looked at me, I was waiting for him. <laughs> he looked at me like this. And when I looked at Eyes locked. You're not getting away now. <laughs> and I said to him in this very serious manner, I said, would you like to pray with me? Who's going to say no? <laughs> right? <laughs> You're on a plane, someone just told you that before this, and you said, who's going to say no to you? No one's going to say no. So he nodded. Are we praying? And I said, Father in heaven, the same God who created the physical law that allowed this plane to fly. Lord, I'm asking you and pleading with you to send your holy angels to fly this plane and let the people know that we serve a living God in Jesus' name. Simple. You think, what, what, what kind of conversation do you think we had after that? <laughs> of course, he is going to be the last Bible study of his life. <laughs> It might be my last to give either. So, let's make it count. Of course we want through Genesis to Revelation. What do you think? It's the last 40 minutes. And the plane just says, Lord, just slow down the plane. We've got a lot to cover. <laughs> Finally, he explains that he's not going to land in Paris. Because to land in Paris, he will spend the same amount of time burning the fuel. So he's going to continue to Zurich and dump fuel on the way. Okay, so, so, so I, I, I did, I, this I could hear with one ear, but I, I'm trying to dis distinguish his, his, uh, his, uh, his nervousness by just reading promises of God. Finally, we're in Zurich. We're told to brace, brace. You've ever braced before? Praise God you haven't. But you know what brace, brace position is. So before we land, it's like you see all this like lights flashing on the thing, like a movie. Okay? And the plane glides and lands safely. And the moment it landed, he turns to me and says, You have a mighty God. I made an appeal before we land. <laughs> you never know. So would you give your heart to God this day? Yes, it is. We 
constantly pray, and we lie. And then one of you lie, the other, you say, remind me, God. And then he began to tell me who he is. That he is an aeronautic engineer, and he works on those engines. And he was scared because he knew our chances. And he didn't tell me that because he didn't want me to be scared. <laughs> and I thought, Lord, you have a sense of humor. Yeah. Passionate appeal. Spirit of integration. Mindset of excellence. Heart and humility and dependence on God. Decided faithfulness. Eyes for providence. Passionate appeal. Last but not least. Sealing the decision. For Christ. Every decision you gave, you must seal for Christ. Because only Christ could empower that person to make, to follow through that decision. I, give, I have hundreds of some. Give you one more. Just one more before we leave. Now, I was in Ukraine. Uh, went to Ukraine to do a, to preach at a wedding. Uh, not the official, I do the sermon. Then there's a pastor that pronounces, you are now happily married. You can kiss the bride. So I don't do that part. The pastor does that, but I preach the message. So here I was preaching the message, and there was a woman into the in the in the, in the congregation, and she was listening to the messages, the, the message of the Sabbath and on the wedding, and she said, oh, "I wish I could have brought my son here today." And I told him, I told her, "Well, we're going to the reception with this 50 miles away from here. If you could bring your son there, we'll have a Bible study." during the reception. I said, as the people eat, and my wife eat, I go and have a Bible study with this guy. She says, but there's one problem. I said, what's that? He's a heroin addict. And I said, that's not a problem for me. So I just, then they went to the, to, the, to the wedding reception. Two of them. Two guys. And, and both heavily drunk. Heavily. And so they, I told myself, Lord, you brought them here for a reason. So deal with them. I will be your mouthpiece. I will do what I can. And so we found, we, we tried to find a, cor a corner in one of the, one of the, one of the building. And then we sat there and I started to speak with these two young men and started to hear their story. And they could hardly keep a whole sentence without almost falling asleep because they were heavily drunk. And so I said, Lord, we prayed, and what are our knees, Lord? You got to deal with this. I said, the fact that these two young men are here, there is a desire within them to be free. But physically, they are bound. I'm asking you and pleading with you, hold Satan back. Hold the legions, whatever back, as you have done with the man that was possessed. Okay. And, and so, we studied the Bible, and during this, this, this the Bible studies that we were going through, the demon, the, the, the demon possessed in Mark chapter 5, we went through that. They were alert. They were alert. And after that, I asked this man was delivered. Would you want to experience the same deliverance from hell? And they said, yes, we want to. And so we prayed on that, on that one, and I gave them counsel what to do in the next 10 days. I chose 10 because it's what I know of the Bible. Biblical 10. Daniel 10, the, the Daniel example. The Daniel lifestyle. The Daniel diet. The Daniel environment. I said, stick to those 10. And he says, 
but I'm never able to make it to three. And he says, yes, you're not able to make it to three because you didn't follow the book of Daniel. Now you follow Daniel, example, and then you'll make it to three. Okay? And so gave him that, and then we prayed again and prayed, and then I told them before they leave, the, the one that took them, please communicate with me. Let me know in two weeks how they are doing. And I'll continue to pray for them. And I told them whenever they would have, they have discouraged, they go to a, a particular passage in the scripture. A passage in Psalms 91. You go read Psalms 91, you'll find out what it is. Okay? And, and so, after that, went back to, to Switzerland, Two weeks later, I received an email from one of the brothers and told me that for the first time in his brother's history, for two weeks, they have been off heroin. This is not just one instance. We had the same, uh, we had the same instance in Thailand. We were being invited to sing in Thailand. There was a man who attended the meeting, heroin. And he was, he was shivering during the, during the time when he was coming in. But whenever the meeting is taking place, the shivers are gone. And he was saying to us, telling the preacher, that look, whenever I'm hearing the word of God, I am not shivering. And so again, we gave him a counsel of the next 10 days. And he was praying. Of course, all these things were not done without passionate appeal for commitment for those individual to make that commitment. Why do we make passionate appeals? Why do you think we do it? It's not because of a show. No, no. I mean, I've learned the principle of this based on Job, for example. Now, we find in Job what? In Job, remember remember the, the what, what God said to Satan in the book of Job? There is not no one like Job. There's no one like him. Okay? And what does Satan do? Satan says, well, it's only because you're protecting him. It's only because you're blessing him. Remove your blessing and he will curse you to your face. And what does God say? Okay, take everything but spare his life. You know what that means? That means that, 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 that just get back to suggest to me that when we call on God, we're in the middle of a great controversy, you and I. Okay? And then just imagine with me, when we call on God, and we call him privately. Satan has every right to challenge that. Because he doesn't read your heart. He doesn't read my heart. And when God wants to send his angels to help you, Satan says, uh, 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 you're cheating. I didn't hear him say that. There's still a controversy. But when you call on God and heaven, all angelic hosts hears, there's no controversy. Satan cannot challenge him. He stands back. Have you ever thought or considered that? And so when you are responding to an appeal, it's not just because of emotion. No, it's an intelligent heart decision to say, Lord, in the eyes of the whole universe, I'm giving you permission to take full control. And Satan has to stand back. Why? Because there's no controversy. But when we make it secretly, he can challenge it anytime. You understand now why passionate appeal is very important. In every single Bible study, in, in, whenever I make a, a spiritual conversation with someone, I have to bring it to an appeal. And not everyone is Baptist. No, no, don't get me wrong. 
But an appeal as such, from what you have heard today, do you believe it? Yes or no? Do you want to apply it? Do you want to leave it? There you go. In a taxi when I was in, uh, in Miami, I was in Miami, uh, passing through Miami from a mission trip. And I was at the hotel and I said, Lord, surely on my way to the airport, there must be someone that you throw them on my path. And I ended up at this taxi, at the back of a taxi. And the back of a taxi driver, I, I told the lady, the driver from Peru, and, she, and I told her, Miami International Airport, please. And she says, where are you? What, what are you doing here? I said, I'm just passing through from a mission trip. I dropped the mission trip because I wanted to ask, what is a mission trip? And she did ask, what is a mission trip? My chance now. I to give her to tell her what evangelistic meeting and so on and so on and so on. And so, on. And so to cut the long story short, I began to ask her, what about you? When was the last time you heard the word of God? Just not for a long time. I said, why not? It's just care supply. So I took my Bible out. Well, she can't kick me out of the taxi. We're going to the airport. So I started reading more Bible promises. Started giving her Bible studies at the back of a taxi car. And then I know exactly the distance to the Miami International Airport because you see the signs. And I'm looking at the signs to analyze how long I have before I get to the airport. Now, I know that, okay, all these Bible studies has to stop when I know it's 10 kilometers and I will bring it to a close. Okay? And so there I said, bring it to a close. After I read all the promises of God, I said, Sister, do you believe what you just heard? Hasn't God touched your heart with His words? I said, yes. Would you give your heart to God today? Based on what you have heard, He doesn't want your money. No. Just your heart. Proverbs 22, verse 20, 20, yeah, 22, verse 6. Give me your heart and let thy eyes observe my ways. What hinders you? And she said, yes. Now, finally, I arrived. I, I prayed for her. Seemed the decision. I wasn't trying to get a free ride. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> At the international airport, I paid my bills. I didn't even tell her where I'm from. Uh, what religion, organization I am. Because I wanted her to seek and ask. And at the end she says, young man, from what church are you? And I know she's from Peru. So I said, hermana, iglesia, the Adventista del Septimonia. And you should have seen her eyes pop out of the side <laughs> with joy. And says, I know that church. What do you mean you know that church? Says my grandmother used to take me to that church when I was a little girl, and I could still remember the joys I had. All these years that she's been living in Miami, more than twenty years, she has not been to church, and here she is, confronted with what she knows to be true. And she makes a recommitment and she says to herself, she even told me, I'm going to church next Sabbath. Amen. That is a wondrous, transforming grace of God. You and I, beloved, need to form a habit that is ready for heaven. And we can do it. You follow the seven points, and I guarantee you, by this time next year, 
you will have somebody in whatever impact your identity is. That you will say, Lord, because I follow these principles, I can present to you this person. Is that the desire and the longing of your heart? Amen? That's about it for prayer. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. That transforming grace, dear Lord, that we see and we find in your words. Lord, they are not just stuck in the archives of history and the Bible. They can be lived once again in our lives. But Lord, we know that we are sinful, that we have not been faithful, that we have not been fully dependent on you, and we have not followed your precepts. But today, Lord, you have reminded us, you have awakened us from stupor. Lord, we thank you. Forgive us for our faithfulness in the past. And we pray that the seven points we have learned and heard today will not only be imprinted in our minds, but be, we live in our lives. That we may form a habit, mindset, and emotional intelligence ready for heaven. Thank you, dear Lord, for the decisions that your people have made today especially those among them whom you place burden in their heart to bring people to the foot of the cross. Lord, please, I beg of you and plead with you that your Holy Spirit be poured upon That you will do the mighty works, dear Lord, that you do best among your people. Among the people that are here in this worship, we thank you, dear Lord, for what you're about to do in their lives as they put this into practice daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.